Last week we began a, a series, a new series, going to be um, just looking through um, until the beginning of Advent, uh, just before Christmas, and um, just look at some of the visions and values of the church. This is a piece of work that we tried to, to do over a period of time to try and explain um, what's important to us as a church and what's important for us to hold on to. Um, I think when um, church goes through periods of change or when church goes through periods when new people are joining us, every now and again, actually, it's no harm to sort of remind ourselves about the sort of place that we seek to be and the sort of place that we think there's evidence for. In doing this work around vision and values, um, what we didn't want to do was just put a whole stack of stuff up that we said, this is what we hope we will become. Um, because in a sense, that's okay, but it doesn't really help because it's kind of like trying to explain who we are, not just about who we'll become. It's kind of like trying to identify what's your DNA. It's kind of like if someone came uh, to your family and said, what's your family like? Well, you might begin by saying, well, there's so many of us, or there's this person or that person. But actually, you quickly begin to talk about the values you hold together, the things you do because they reflect a value. You talk about what's important to you as a family. You might talk about the things that you are planning, but actually you wouldn't spend a lot of time saying, and actually in the future we're hoping we're going to be a lot better than we are right now. You'd probably just spend a whole stack of time saying, this is who we are. And in doing this work around uh, vision and values, it was very much that sense of, what are we like? What are we like? In doing it, we didn't want to, the, the danger of it and the difficulty of it is, what do you not say? What do you not say? And indeed, on the flip side, what do you say? And how do you say what you want? And so, over a period of time, over quite a long period of time, a long period of conversations with leaders, a long period of time of thinking it through, a long time of thinking back over our own story, we try to come up with a, a, a sentence. Now, I've got to tell you, it's a long sentence. But I came up with a sentence to try and explain who we are. And um, I'm kind of hoping... Um, that when you see it, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, we can see elements of that. And there might be other things that you go, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but then as we unpack it bit by bit over the weeks, hopefully you'll see, yeah, that's who we are. We do it because I think increasingly you need to explain to people, so what are you about? But I think the other thing is, it should be something that would hold us accountable to something. It should be something that says, actually, how are you doing on that? So anyway. We'd know more about this is it. Um, in the end, by sort of in the next week or so, you're going to have this on a card that you'll be able to carry it around with you and show it to everybody that you've ever seen. <laughs> okay. Can you flick me on? No, I don't know. Kind of why. There we go. So what we, the way we came to describe ourselves was this. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another and the moment we're in, so that we can be good news to those around us. We're a growing community of whole life disciples who are alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another, and the moment we're in, so we can be good news to those 
around us. That's kind of what we began to say. Actually, that, those are the sort of people that we want to be. We want to be a growing community. And I'm uh, going to talk about that in a moment. But we want to be a growing community, not just of church attenders. We want to be a growing community of whole life disciples, people who are living out what it means to be a Jesus uh, follower in the whole of their lives, not just commit to church on a Sunday. <laughs> we want to be a people who are aware of what God is doing. We want to be a people who are really connected with what the Spirit might be saying and what God is leading us into, alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another. In other words, slowing down enough so that we actually do pay attention to one another. The, pe- the person that we are, not the person we would want them to be or the person we assume them to be, but actually pay careful attention to one another and the moment we're in. So what's, what's God asking of us right now as individuals and as a group? Ultimately, why? Not just so we can be a, a great place, but so that we can be good news to those around us. Well, every statement has positives and negatives, has a sort of advantages and disadvantages. You can't do everything. But that's where we came to. And in a sense, what I want to do over the next few weeks is just unpack it little bit by little bit as we did last week in, uh, in our two services last week. And I'm going to sort of talk again about uh, the same thing we talked about last week, which was we want to be, or we are, can you, I, I, I'm not sure why it's not pushing forward, a growing community, not just a growing church. There's a big difference. You can be a growing church, but not a growing community. <laughs> It's really easy, actually, to keep on. The, the thing that we've got to keep on doing all the time is reminding ourselves that when we talk about church, essentially we're not just talking about this hour and a half on a Sunday. Because actually, we, you know, <laughs> we can just do this really well, but you can come in as individuals and you can go out as individuals and never actually sense that you belong to a community. You come to church, but for nothing else. Um, I think it's apparent to everybody, hopefully, but we share this building with uh, a Church of England family who, a family, a community, a church, congregation, any of those words would do. (laughs) It's just (laughs) asterisk, asterisk, (laughs) to strike out at your own desire. And um, when we first came here into this building, which was now about, um, about 16 years ago, we came. And there was just a little handful of us here, really. And that church congregation, which was larger than we were at that time, were gracious enough to say, you can share this space. And that was a big deal. And they, they, they allowed us to share the space on the same morning that they would meet. So, and some of us lo- remember these days with such affection. Um, <laughs> they met... <laughs> Particularly people like Phil, um, and I'll explain why in a moment. Um, But they would meet at 9.30 till around 10.30, and then we would start uh, at about 10.45, and then we would start at 11.30, which meant we had a very short window to actually set up the equipment we had to make all the changes we had, and it was absolutely just sort of like hand-to-mouth. But one church, one Church of England church, said to us, you can come and share this space. One of the great things has been that over the years, just people, you, <laughs> actually, I was going to say people, I mean you, 
had been added to us. And um, when we were just a little handful, we prayed for people like you. <laughs> we were crackers. <laughs> we prayed for people like you. We prayed that people like you would come and join us. We prayed that people who didn't know Jesus would join us. We prayed that people who were absolutely sick to death of church would join us. We kind of always wanted to be a place where we were like the last chance saloon <laughs> for church people. And so we prayed, for, we prayed and you came. And you are the answer to those prayers. You can turn to the next person and go, I am an answer to prayer. <laughs> We didn't know. We didn't know what you'd be like. We didn't know where you would come from. We didn't know your story. We didn't know what you would carry with you. We didn't know what baggage you would bring. We didn't know how, what shape you would be in. But we prayed you would come. But we prayed you would come not just so we would get more people on a Sunday morning. Because to be honest... I mean, this is, this is kind of really personal, really, I suppose. But anyway, way back, I'd stopped worrying about how many people came on a Sunday morning. When I was the full-time pastor of the church, there was a time when I was just a full-time pastor. And um, I used to keep a chart. <laughs> what a geek, you're right. I used to keep a chart. And, um, and I'd have good days or bad days, depending on what had happened. And then I just decided, because we declined, that I, I felt Lord say, don't keep a chart. <laughs> <laughs> when we were growing, I felt, no, the Lord says, yes, keep a chart. But when we were declining, no, don't keep a chart. And, um, and I, de I determined, with a whole stack of changes that happened, that I was never going to worry about how many people were here. Because you can fool yourself. You can fool yourself that with a full room, you've got a community. And that's not necessarily true. So we're not really interested in just a growing church. What we're interested in is a growing community. And that's much more difficult. But when you've got it, it matters so much. And some of that community is brought about because we organize for it. That's why there are house groups that meet where people choose to meet regularly together in small groups, prayer groups, book groups, that sort of thing. It's why it's really important for the young teenagers that they have their groups because actually it's the community that will enable them to make sure that faith stays plausible and, and credible for them. It's why we uh, invited Andrew and Alex to work with us around the uh, young adults because uh, we wanted that group of people between 15 and 25 to become a community of people. And in November, they're going away for a weekend together to create a community and to develop community together. It's why we have the groups in the vine. It's why we have the vine itself. It's why we have play and stay. But you can't organize community alone. Community happens when one person says to another person, can I get to know you? Where one person takes the risk with another person and says, could we spend some time together? Do you fancy a coffee? Could we have a meal together? Do you fancy meeting up? And I, I think it's true that none of us feel absolutely confident enough to do that. Because deep down, there's two things that work against that. One is busyness. 
just don't have time. Intention, but not time. And the other is, what if they think I'm a bit weird? <laughs> well, let me tell you, you are. <laughs> so get over that one. And actually, you know, the truth is, most people are fascinating. Most people are fascinating. No, we really are. You know, you know, you go through that sort of time sometimes where people go, oh, yeah, a bit boring. You've never met a boring person. You've just not found the right question. You've just not found the right question. You've not met a boring person. You've just not found the right person. Uh, the question. You've not met an ordinary person. C.S. Lewis once wrote, memorably, we are all immortals. We'll live forever. You've not met an ordinary person. And sometimes you just, I mean, every now and again, you get sort of hijacked, really, by the, the extent to someone's remarkable nature. Way back, I used to do, uh, I, used to go, I used to visit parents of children who weren't turning up for school. And uh, I used to go down and visit um, uh, parents and, and families, and essentially, I wasn't a wag man, all right? It wasn't that. I, wasn't, I didn't have any authority. It was just I was employed by uh, Buell Hill at the time, and they just said, would you... I mean, and I was... Anyway, I, I was so young, I was naive, and yeah, okay, I'll do that. And um, they said, would you go and visit parents and just see why they're not sending their children to school? Well, that's easy enough, isn't it? Yes, I'll go and do that. And, um, and so I'd go and introduce myself and chat to them and... I remember one, one, uh, one bloke uh, down on Dutchie, he said, uh, he said, you're the first person from the school I've not thrown down the stairs. I'm thinking, oh, well, that's very... <laughs> I'm glad about that. But I met this family uh, down on, in Seedley, and uh, I, we, I, my job was really just to build relationships, and I, I talked to them, I said, what, what do you love doing? And they said, we love acting out Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. <laughs> no. No, this is real. I can't believe you just said that you're making this up. After <laughs> all these years, we've worked together. You know, he thinks he's a star. <laughs> just because you make up the fact that you think you're Paul McCartney. <laughs> this family did great. And then they said, would you like to see it? So I'm sitting there in Seedley Terrace going, yes. I would, actually. And they acted it all out. And I came out thinking how brilliantly, wonderfully bonkers those people are. <laughs> you have not met an ordinary person. You are not ordinary, this growing community of people. So when we look at the New Testament, we see what God does with early churches. And I want us to, and during this little series, I'm going to reflect back on some of the passages we read in Acts. Some of them we, we skipped over quite quickly. I'm going to go back there for a moment. But just because, when you look back at the early church, it's not because the early church was perfect by any means, but it was like it was written as an encouragement to churches. People like us who would read these stories and go, God, can you do it again? If you've got a Bible, can you turn with me to Acts 4? Acts 4, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 32. 
It's a passage that if you've been around church, you will know really well. And the next story is equally well-known, tricky, but well-known. And we're going to take it through to verse 16 of the next chapter. This is how it begins. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received them. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three, years, uh, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men who came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fears seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. I just want to point out a few things, and the first thing is this that what was the heart of this community, this new church, this early church, was this. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I've touched on it so many times recently. This was what made them distinctive. They believed that Jesus rose again and was alive. And if Jesus is alive, what might happen? What is possible once you believe that Jesus is alive? If you don't believe Jesus is alive, the danger is what you end up with, or if you lose track of that, or if it becomes less significant to you, then what happens is religion becomes moralism. Let's do the right thing. But if actually you, lo- you don't lose track of this central fact of Christianity, that Jesus 
is alive. It sounds like Sunday school stuff, but actually the place that really needs to believe it is not just children. In fact, to be honest, children on the whole don't have problems believing what seems to be impossible. It's people like me and you that have problems to believe what seems impossible. Children... Children live within a world where that sort of thing is possible. And then as you become an adult, it gets beaten out of you because in the real world, that sort of thing doesn't happen. And so it's people like me and you that need to keep coming back to the central truth of our faith. Not just the children or not actually the children. It's us. With great power, they kept on testifying that the resurrection of Jesus had happened. This is the defining distinction of the church. This is what will make our church live. Not our organization, not even our care for one another, not our uh, cleverness or anything else about it. The thing that will keep our church alive is the fact that we believe that Jesus is alive. For it's his church, he's at work, and we've got to keep on watching what he's doing. Ultimately, We've got to keep remembering that actually this venture we're involved with together, the thing that many of us have given our lives to together, is actually making real the presence of Jesus who is alive. And I know you know that, but I need to keep on reminding myself. With great power, they testified to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then three things, very quickly. There was powerful grace, there was fearless honesty, and there was remarkable healing. If you look at that first part we read, where there was that wonderful verse, verse 33, with great power, they, they, that's the one I read, um, it's the second half of that verse, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. What was the mark of that? There were no needy person among them. The sign that God was amongst them was that nobody needed anything. Why? Because the early church reckoned that owning their own stuff was less significant than actually what God was doing with the community. There was a lack of poverty in the early church because they shared what they had. And Barnabas is then this figure who comes into the story. And we'll, you know, you meet Barnabas much later when he's preaching and doing stuff like that. But Barnabas actually comes into the story when he has an inheritance that would have, um, that would have made his own future secure. And he says, I will give away my future by giving you the money. I'll sell the field. And I'll give you the money. It's remarkable, powerful grace. No question about how do people end up in need. No, no, it doesn't really matter how you got there. We will supply what you need for one another. And Barnabas, this symbol of someone who chose. They didn't have to do it. They weren't made to do it. It wasn't a sort of a prerequisite of joining. It was actually an overflow of the grace of God that they acted this out together. It was that thing. What I have, you are welcome to. I will share what I have with you. Secondly, though, there was a fearless honesty about this early church community. 
And the fearless honesty comes into place with Ananias and Sapphira. This tricky story early on. If you would ever think that the early church were perfect, Ananias and Sapphira tells you, no, 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 it wasn't. That Satan was involved in people's hearts, tempting them, directing them, misdirecting them, as he always is. <coughs> Ananias and Sapphira, they come, they see, presumably they see Barnabas, who is applauded, and they think it would be great to be well thought of, wouldn't it? Why don't we do that? Why don't we, we've got, you can imagine the conversation, Ananias and Sapphira at home, we've got, we, we could do that. We could sell some land, but, but, but you don't want to be stupid. Let's not give it all, but let's give the impression that it was all. That was the problem. It wasn't. Nobody asked them to do it. Nobody demanded it of them. They didn't have to do it. What they were doing, though, is they were lying to one another. And Peter asked those questions. What were you thinking? And this is the really important thing. Peter doesn't kill Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> they die. A growing community is a community of grace, but it's also a community of honesty where, where we do have the difficult conversations with one another. Where we say, what were you thinking? Where we choose not to lie to one another. Even if lying to one another would make other people think better of us. This is a community, we want this to be a growing community of fearless honesty. Where we do keep one another accountable to Jesus. Because you can use religion for a whole stack of other things. Including, how well do people think of you? And then the third thing, very quickly, it was a place of remarkable healing. The apostles performed many signs and wonders, verse 12. No one else did they join them, even though they were highly regarded. Nevertheless, more and more people believed in the Lord, and they were added to the number. As a result, people brought those who were ill into the streets. They laid them on beds and mats, and crowds gathered, bringing those who were ill and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Can you imagine the makeup of this early community. People going, do you know what? I had a rubbish past. <laughs> I was torn apart. Nobody wanted me. I was absolutely tormented. Me. Others would say, me. I was ill for so long. I couldn't hardly do anything, and I was ill. But you know what? I joined this community, and God did something new. And this community, this growing community in Jerusalem, would have been people who just had these multiple complex pasts. Because of the role I take in the church, I hear this conversation far more often than you might imagine. People come to me and say, everybody else looks like they've got their act together. <laughs> and I go, hang around a bit. People who come in look at you and go, they've got their act together. They're fine. And you know your own story. You know what the past is. You know what the lingering effects of the past still are. You know what God is healing, of you, healing uh, you of. He, you know what God has healed you of. You know where you came from. But you know what? People would never guess just by looking. 
And I think that early growing community was one where people would look at one another and go, you'd never guess. You'd never guess. What does it mean to be a growing community? It means a community of powerful grace where people go, do you know what? I don't mind doing what others might think is stupid for other people. I will give you what I have. A, pa- a growing community is a place where there is fearless honesty, and that is difficult, and none of us enjoy that. And it's tricky to know how to do it, and it's tricky to know how to do it well, but there's an honesty that we say to one another. We can't just let things slip. A growing community is one with remarkable healing. And it strikes me that in our church going forward, I want to see more of God just doing the remarkable stuff, the remarkable miracles. But I also want to see God do much more of that healing that comes because you join a community. Where actually you can say, this is who I am. I am not all together. I struggle enormously with X, Y, and Z. And know that no one's going to jump down your throat. No one's going to judge you for it. But everybody's going to say you're in the right place. What does it mean to be a powerful community? And then finally, last slide. All of this will always end up here. The reason for this is not that we will be happy and safe. The reason for this is because actually what God is forming in us and through us is a people for the sake of the world. And a community that can say, show me, don't just tell me. Don't just tell the gospel, but show us. Show us what it looks like. That's what a growing community is about. And that's the growing community that I think God is making us to be. It's not like the end of this sermon is not like, right, now, start. It's actually when we were trying to describe ourselves, we were trying to describe, we think we see the seeds of this. We see, the, we see evidence of this. We can point to people who go, you're like Barnabas. We, we didn't do the other one. We didn't go and say, you're like the other two. <laughs> you're like Barnabas, we said. We said, actually, we've seen God heal you and the healing that comes through you. This is not something to begin to become, but this is what God is doing. We said, actually, we want to be a place of honesty. We want to be a growing community. We are a growing community, not a church, just, but a growing community of people. I think it would be good to pray, don't you? Do you want to stand? I wonder... uh, I wonder whether it would be helpful just to give some space and whether there are folks that you would want to you'd want to pray. If there's something you go, do you know as a result of all of that, this is what I would want to ask you, God. And uh, if you do, I know it sounds a little bit sort of formal, but if you just put your hand up, we'll come to you with the microphone so everybody can hear. Because actually this is prayer on behalf of us all. Lord, this is 
what we see. This is what we commit ourselves to. So while these guys are just playing in the background, if, you wanna, if you're willing to pray on behalf of us all, if you can take some of this and turn it into a prayer, then let's all hear that. I recognize I've just ri- uh, raised the bar a bit by the microphone thing, but I don't want you just to be mumbling heartfelt stuff that we can't hear. If there's stuff you know you want to ask God, just take a moment. What would now your prayer be? What would you want to ask God for? In the light of the things that you've been thinking, what would it be good for us all to be asking God for? How can you lead a congregation at this point and say, Lord, this is where we are. This is what we would want. When you're ready, I'll whiz round and hand you... to save us all. I thank you for the example that you set for us, Heavenly Father. And I thank you that because of that love, we can gather here today. I just thank you that we don't have to try to earn your love. We don't have to try to be perfect. I just pray, Lord, that you help us be real. That you help us just follow you and just love you and be real with each other so others around us can see what it's like to be loved by God. Thank you so much. Somebody else. Lord, I would pray that all of us in the church here really don't don't have any front on when we're, we're all talking to each other. If somebody asks us how we are, I pray that we're completely honest. We don't try and hide how we're feeling. We don't try and be all right and put a face on things. I pray that we all feel comfortable enough to be completely open with each other and to ask for help when we need it. Amen. had this word running around in my head as I was walking down this morning um, it's going to sound a bit odd um, there's a phrase that's used when people are making an investment and it's about um, past performance is no indicator of future success and it's usually used as a warning that don't expect the, the future to be as good as the past and I feel like God is saying this morning don't set the past as your measure of success because what's coming is bigger. What's coming is better. And I feel like God's promise this morning is everything that's coming is going to surpass what's been before. Father, we just thank you that your measure of success is different from ours. Thank you, Father, that our future is in you. And our past, whatever it is, whatever we look back to, whatever we think we're capable of, you exceed that in every way. 
Thank you, Father, that with you, when we're standing with you, when we're standing in your shadow, everything that's coming ahead of us, everything that's coming ahead of us, everything that's coming ahead of us is going to be greater than we can imagine. Someone else. Father God, we come in Jesus' name and thank you that growing takes grace and grace comes from you. And I pray that you would help us as we grow, Lord. We want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to grow so that we can be a people who reflect who you are. And Lord, that takes your help. It takes your spirit. It takes your leading. Lord, would you help us? There are areas where we do feel weak, as it was shared today about it takes courage to get to know somebody. It takes courage to, to ask somebody how you're doing or to cross the room and start a conversation with people who maybe we've been together with for a long time but haven't been able to get to know. Lord, I pray that you would give us that courage. I pray that you would just give us that, that confidence to reach out to one another, Lord, and that by your spirit we would grow. By your spirit we wouldn't just be a group of individuals in the same place, but that we would be a community of believers who really love one another, who get to know one another, warts and all. Would you help us? Would you do that in us? Would you do that through us in the name of Jesus? We thank you that we can see it's happening, Lord. It's not something that we say, oh, we wish we had that we we do have it and we want to see it more we want to see it growing in and through us so would you help each and every one of us we pray in the name of Jesus Christ amen maybe just one or two more Neil was speaking, I was reminded of that verse of scripture where um, Peter and Paul um, came across the um, man who couldn't walk and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you. And um, I just believe that God's given all of us something. God's given all of us so much. God's given all of us plenty. We may not have silver and gold. We may have silver and gold. But whatever God has given to us, that's what he's given to us, not just for us to have, not just for us to experience, but for us to give away. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that each one of us have gifts to give away. Each one of us have uh, passion for people, compassion for people who are sick, uh, desire to see people uh, set, set out um, on, the, and the, on their feet and given a new lease of life, desire to see people uh, helped out of the gutter into a better way, desire to see people given a new space. Whatever it is, we have that desire, and it's from your heart. And Father, we thank you, and we, we Father, we thank you that you give us opportunities to share the things that you've given to us. And so, Father, we. We come to you and we, we, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when we haven't uh, used those opportunities that you've placed in front of us. But we ask that you would give us more opportunities, Father, and you would give us times when we can actually share what you've given to us. 
and we can see the result of those times in your hand as people are lifted, as people are helped, as people are enabled, and as people are blessed by you. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Father God, we just pray that your spirit would come and rest upon us. Well, sometimes our desire outreaches our, uh, sort of our, yeah, it outreaches our practice. Lord, will you transform us so that we can become this community of people who know powerful grace, who do know fearless honesty and remarkable healing. May we be that place of remarkable healing. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. We recognize that we can't organize it, but what we can do is allow you the space to create something new. So come, we pray.